This afternoon we will be looking at, uh, in part, at the fatherhood of God as we confess it in Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism. So in connection with that, we're going to read from Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and you'll be able to find that on page 690 of your pew Bible. We'll be focusing especially on verse 13 of Psalm 103. This is a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with, te- with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. So far the word of God. And we'll focus especially on that verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We'll now read together also from our Heidelberg Catechism. And our Heidelberg Catechism has just gone through the, uh, the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which we also just recited at the beginning of this service, and it begins with that first part of our Apostles' Creed. You'll be able to find that on page 525 of your book of praise. There it asks, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt 
that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how do you look at your father in heaven? You trust him as your almighty God, yes. But considering him as your father, how do you look at him? Perhaps some of you look at this Lord's Day and you think, yes, I love that name that God has given us to use. Father, I love that name. But some of you may not feel that way. Some of you may have had fathers who didn't show you love. And so you look at your heavenly father and your first thought when he gives you that name is not necessarily one of love and faithfulness. Some of you have had fathers who are loving and faithful and yet you feel a disconnect when you think of God as your father. You perhaps think of someone who's towering over you, someone who's watching your every move, a strict disciplinarian, one who'll catch you breaking the rules and let you feel the consequences. One who is almost intimidating in his omnipresence, the fact that he's present everywhere and that he sees everything. And even though this is not what you have come to associate with the name of Father, this is still what you see when you think of your Father in heaven, what you connect with that name. Loved ones of God, how do you feel when you hear that name of God as Father? Today we'll see how our powerful God gives us a name of trust. And we'll see, first of all, his power. Second, the name of trust. And third, what this means for us. The name of power for God in the Old Testament is Elohim. This is a name for God which is simply translated as God in English. And it's what we have as God here in our Heidelberg Catechism today as well. God, the Father Almighty, from that Hebrew word Elohim or in the Greek Theos. It's one which is used for all of the lowercase gods from the nations around Israel as well at the time of the writing of this psalm, Psalm 103. It's a name for one who is said to have divine power. So God, you could say, is a name of power. Now, of course, we know that the gods of the nations around Israel at the time of the writing of this psalm were false gods. Mere idols, blocks of wood and stone, half the time, and demons in disguise, the other half of the time. You only need to look at the prophet Isaiah in chapter 44 of his book to see the, the folly of worshiping a block of wood that people claim have, has divine power. And in Psalm 106, verses 37 to 38, you can see the danger in worshiping demons when they appear as other gods. But that was not God. Not our God. God, our God, is 
a God of divine power. His power isn't false. He's not a demon dependent on the created world. He created this whole world out of nothing. He's not dependent on it. He has real power. And our catechism highlights that today. It speaks of him as that creator of heaven and earth. You just recited that in the Apostles' Creed as well. Now just think of that for a moment. Look up to the heavens in your mind's eye. As of November 5 of 2018, the space probe Voyager 2 left our solar system and is now sailing in interstellar space. At that time, it was 17.8 billion kilometers from our sun. Driving at 100 kilometers an hour, day and night, it would take you 487, 671 years to get there. And that's just our solar system. Scientists estimate that there are tens of billions of solar systems in our Milky Way galaxy. Now keep in mind the Milky Way galaxy is just our galaxy. And there are many more besides. Many of the lights that you see in the night sky, they're not actually stars. They themselves are galaxies in their own right that are just so far away that they look like stars from our perspective. Does that give you a bit of an idea of the size of this created universe? The size of this universe that our God has made? And then consider the complexity of our world. You and I, we are made up of bodies. Our, our bodies themselves are made up of organs, our, our heart, our, our liver, or our skin. The skin is the biggest organ on the body. And then each of our organs themselves are made up of cells. Each cell has at its heart, controlling it, the DNA molecules, the the DNA strands. The DNA strands themselves are made up of molecules. Molecules are made up of atoms. Atoms themselves are made up of subatomic particles, protons, neutrons, electrons, Some of you guys in, say, grade seven, six, are learning about this, maybe grade eight. It's been a while. But these subatomic particles themselves are not even the smallest bit. If you go even further down, scientists have discovered what they call quarks. And that's just as far as they can see. They hypothesize that it goes even further than that. Does that give you a bit of an idea of the complexity of this universe? Now, if you think of the vastness of this universe, and you think of the complexity of something even as simple as the human body, and then you look at God. It's God who made all of this. It's God who holds all of it together. It's our God that commands the laws of physics to function the way that they do. And it's this God that our catechism points to as still upholding and governing everything by his providence. Consider the infinite power. This God who created all of that from the biggest galaxy to that smallest particle. The wisdom. This God who can hold all of that in his mind and still have room left over besides that to think of us.
This is the God that our catechism points us to today. The creator of heaven and earth, who out of nothing created heaven and earth, and who still upholds and governs them. But we don't just think of him in terms of God, that name of power. Because you may have noticed in a passage today, Psalm 103, verse 13, that the name Elohim, the name God, is not the one that's used here. The psalm writer King David chooses deliberately to use another name for the Lord. He uses the name Yahweh. That's what is meant when you see the name Lord in all capital letters. This one is no less powerful. This is the name of promise. This is the name that God himself gives to those for whom he bends the world into place. For whom he moves history and nations to preserve for himself a people. That is power in and of its own right. There's so much more that could be said here, but today we'll focus on the one that the author of this psalm brings forward. In verse 7, it speaks of how he made his way known to Moses. Moses was a man who led the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. This in itself was in fulfillment of a promise made to the father of this nation, Abraham. That was more than 400 years before the time of Moses. But God took upon himself to not just remain there, but to establish a relationship with the whole nation as well. Not just sticking with that forefather. He promised that they would be his special people chosen out of all of the nations and that he would be their God. And that promise held. It held through to the days of David who wrote this psalm more than 400 years after Moses. 800 years of God's unshakable faithfulness, even in the face of Israel's faithlessness. Using the weight of his divine power to bend this universe to his will and to keep his people as his own in fulfillment of his promises. Beloved, our God is not just a God of power, but he's a God of of promise, a God who makes promises, a God who keeps his promises, a God who fulfills his promises. And it's this God of power and this God of promise whom we can call our Father. This brings us to our second point, the name of trust. Now in this broken world, we know that the name of Father is not always one that inspires trust. We read of Jesus saying in Matthew 7 verse 9 and following, what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him of them? The idea here is one of earthly provision. And the, the general rule is true. Our earthly fathers do provide. 
The idea how much more will our heavenly father provide is one that is absolutely true. But for many, the struggle is still very real when it comes to dealing with that name of father because that provision may be true as a general rule, but it is not always true for everyone in their experience. Many father figures have failed and some of that have experienced that personally. Some of us may remember when we ourselves have failed as fathers. But the point is not to dwell on that today. As fathers, you and I, men in the congregation, for us not to dwell on our failures today as fathers. The point is not to dwell on the failure of father figures in our lives, those who may or may not have been our physical fathers, but we still look to them in that position. But rather the point is how God himself made it to be. Those who have had father figures in their lives who failed them know better than anyone how it was not meant to be. And through this, it becomes even clearer how it ought to be. Through this, that stark contrast between how it's not meant to be and how it ought to be is brought into that much more relief. Because when you look at it from that perspective, you can see how you yearn for it to be, even though you may not have experienced it in this life. Keeping that in mind, you who are loved by God. Look at our catechism passage today in light of that. In light of how it ought to be. Because when you look at it from that perspective, from the perspective of perfect love, then you look at it from the perspective of God the love that God has for you. When we look at the title of father and we look to those father figures who have failed in our own lives and we impose that on God, then we're looking at that from the wrong perspective. We are looking at it from the earth up. We are looking at our heavenly father through the lenses of brokenness and sin. And then we tend to paste onto God things and ideas and motivations that are part of that brokenness that's caused by sin instead of the perfect love and the perfect care that belongs to God, our Heavenly Father. That ought to be attributed to our perfect Heavenly Father. But today, God reminds us to look at it from the perspective of the kingdom down and not the culture up. From the point of view of his love and provision and care. And to remember that earthly fatherhood is not an image of God's fatherhood, but rather that it's meant to reflect God's heavenly fatherhood. That we don't look at earthly fatherhood and say this is what God is like, but we look at the best of what we see in fatherhood, and we see how it's a reflection of what is there above all. And so when we think about parents, 
when they do things in a way that is right, in a way that is good, in a way that is filled with love, then we can see reflections of God's perfect love and care. So beloved, I would urge you not to shy away from God's calling himself Father, but embrace it as the gift of who he truly is and to love it as fatherhood ought to be. And as for fathers here on earth, as we fail, not to fear in light of our failures, but rather look to our heavenly father again and seek and delight in modeling that same kind of heavenly love that he shows to us living as those who are reflections of our Heavenly Father and image bearers of our God. Because when our children look to their Heavenly Father, they will think of you and of me and seek to show them the goodness of this God who has shown his love to us that they would see in him, that they would see in us what they see in him. And where we faithfully bear God's image as Father, where we ask for forgiveness from God and from our children where we fail, where you and I use our own position to direct their eyes to the more perfect Heavenly Father, then our Heavenly Father's name will be glorified in our home. The child's faith will be strengthened. And both we and our children will grow to, in trust for our Heavenly Father who is the one in whom we can put all of our trust without any reservations. And this brings us to our third point. So why can we be so certain of where we can put our trust? Well, the key lies in our Lord's day today. This glorious creator, our God who holds the universe in his hand, has become our father for the sake of Christ, his son. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ can absolutely trust in his faithfulness. They can say these words, he is, for the sake of Christ, his son, my God and my father. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that beautiful beyond compare? Even the smallest child, the smallest of you boys and girls, who can barely stutter out a prayer, you are heard when you speak to your heavenly Father. Yes, he hears and answers every child's prayer. He might say no when you ask for things, just like your heavenly fathers do. But he hears you when you pray. All for the sake of your older brother, your Lord, and your Savior, Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 12, as many as received Jesus Christ, to them the Father gave the rights to be called to become children of God, 
to those who believe in his name. If you have received Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord, John 1 verse 12 says, you have become children of God. There's no need for fear because he's not one who is there towering over you, ready to convict, but he is there as your loving father. He will correct you if needed, just as every loving father does who wants to save their child from destruction, but he is also compassionate. And that's one of the reasons why I actually love Psalm 103. Psalm 103 as we have it in our our book of praise as we just sang it. In tender mercy, like that of a father, it brings it so beautifully to light. He is compassionate. He is not only able to act, he not only has the power to act, but he's also willing to act in the best interest of his children, as any good father does for his own children. And that's what our psalm today reminds us of. Looking back at Psalm 103, specifically verse 13. First in verses 11 and 12, it talks about how God removes any barrier to our relationship with him. All sin is washed clean. And we know this to be true for the sake of Jesus Christ. He looks at us through Jesus and he sees us as clean. So he's taken that guilt away. He's taken that sin away. Any reason that we might have to fear that God might be towering over us in that way, he's taken that away for the sake of Jesus. But then more, there's more to it than that. Having washed us clean, we now read, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, don't misunderstand here. The word that we have for pity is not pity in the same way that we often think of pity in our culture today. The way that we see it in our culture, it almost involves looking down on somebody and and thinking that you are better than them. In the eyes of some people, if you pity them, then it it almost involves a, a certain measure of contempt. That's not to say that it actually does mean that, but it's the way it's sometimes taken. But if you look at the English language in the way that the word pity is properly understood, and you look at it in the way that it's understood in the scriptures, not just our more modern view of it, but the full understanding of the word, you will begin to understand how our Father looks at us. Consider a godly father who looks at his own child, who has made the wrong choices, and yet comes back with a truly repentant heart. You can almost think of the parable of the the prodigal son, where the father's son comes back, And his son is coming back with a truly repentant heart, saying sorry for what he's done, sincerely wanting to change heart and life. Having eaten of the vile mess that they've made of their life and having lost their taste for the things that they've done, such a father looks on his child and he runs out and embraces him with open arms. He has pity on his child. But not a pity that's full of contempt, but a pity that's full of love and compassion. A pity that looks at that child in their wretched position, that child who hates their sin, and they embrace that child in love. 
There is no fear in that child. There is no fear for you, child of God. There is no fear. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And if you come to God having eaten of that vile mess you've made of your life, having lost your taste for the grievous thing you've done, and you come to him and you ask for forgiveness, he'll respond with forgiveness and love, a perfect love that casts out fear because he is compassionate. And we can be convinced of that by the words of Romans 8 verse 15, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't come to this Father in fear. Christ died to make this possible. Christ died so that those who could believe in him could call God their Father that they could have a close relationship with him, not simply fearing him as some distant lawgiver, but loving him as a father who reaches out to his children. You may be living in adversity, as our catechism says. It doesn't shy away from that. You may be living in hardships, in difficulties, even difficulties that are brought on by your own sin. And yet when we come to the Lord in repentance and in faith, this all-powerful God who could crush us in a breath if he wanted to. Remember, he is the God of galaxies. He's the God of the smallest particle of this universe. With barely even a thought, we would be gone. And yet we don't come to him In that way. But when we come to the Lord in repentance and faith, this all-powerful God who could crush us in a breath, this God pities us as a father pities his children. And in verse 17, he shows us his mercy, which is from everlasting to everlasting. Child of God, you who have put your faith in Christ, this is your father. This is your father. This is your God. Amen.